And then also perineal massage. So what we've been talking about for prepping, also the provider could do this gently and kind of exactly how we described it in one area. So it's not stretching side to side. A study by Equan et al., they found that 50% of people had actually a lower trauma rate if they uh, their provider used this in the second stage of labor and that pushing stage, which again, half of the people, that's pretty impressive stats. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally, because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. A big fear that a lot of women have going into birth is tearing. And we get it. There's so much uncertainty when it comes to labor, especially if it's your first time. When we pull our audience, we hear that the most common fears around birth are the fear of pain, the fear of something happening to your body, the fear of a medical complication, the fear of an unplanned pregnancy, and the fear of tearing is always at the top of the list. So with this episode, we wanted to address that, the fear of tearing and what you can do in your pregnancy to prepare, how to protect your perineum during labor, and if you do end up tearing, how you can help yourself to heal. So Crystal, I thought it'd be really important if we started by just explaining what tearing is. So tearing during birth, according to a study by Sam Sun et al., the majority of women do undergo some type of childbirth tearing. So around 78% of birthers will experience tearing. When we talk about tearing, we mean into the actual tissue. So the skin or the muscle around the vagina or perineum. The perineum is a space between your vagina opening and your rectum. So the goal is to minimize tearing to grade one or two. These are much more manageable, but when we get to grades three or four, these can be a little bit trickier to heal from. So during a vaginal delivery, your skin is actually preparing itself for childbirth. It is thinning out as a part of your body getting ready for birth so that we're allowing the baby's head and body to pass through without trauma. So it's very common for your vagina to tear again. So here's the grades of those, just so you know. A first degree tear is the least severe tearing. This is the smallest injury and it just affects the first layer of your skin around your vagina and peritoneal area. This usually does not require stitching. A second degree tear though is a little bit more common and this tear is slightly bigger. It extends deeper through your skin and into the underlying muscle of your vagina and perineum. 
This tear does require stitching. A third degree tear extends from your vagina towards your anus. This tear involves the skin, the muscle of the perineal area, as well as it could slightly damage the anal sphincter muscle. These are the muscles that help you control pooping. So they hold back poop and you definitely do need stitches for a third degree tear. The fourth tear is basically where you uh, disrupt all of that tissue. So you tear through the skin, the muscle, and the whole anal sphincter of the rectum. This is stitches and surgery. So usually they'll take you to the operating room after delivery. And again, these ones aren't as common. So there isn't as many of these happening, but it can happen. And this would result in an involuntary loss of fecal matter. So you wouldn't be able to control your stool at that point. It's really important to understand exactly what tearing is. And thank you so much for sharing those degrees because it is something that your provider will probably say out loud to you. I know mine would say, okay, that you do have a second degree tear. Now let's talk about why tearing does happen. This can often happen from women having tight pelvic floors. It can also happen from the baby being in the wrong position, or maybe the mom doesn't move around enough during labor or the baby and the mom, like the positioning during labor. It could also happen from the positions that we push in. And for some reason with these pelvic floors, they can't, there's so many reasons for them to get tight. We hold stress here. People that are highly active, like you would even think, wow, a professional athlete or a high level or a recreational athlete you think of as being super healthy, right? So runners, volleyball players, gymnasts, we associate them with being physically fit. So we probably think their pelvic floor is fit just like the rest of their body, right? But unfortunately, this is wrong and research tells us otherwise. They did a study on collegiate athletes to assess their pelvic floor and 76% of women female athletes were leaking, which likely means they have pelvic floor dysfunction, which could be too much tightness from all the impact that you take during sports. If you think about the nature of their exercise, it's very physically demanding and your pelvic floor does have to take a lot of force and pressure. So this goes to show that it's much more common issue than we think. So even strong athletes really struggle with their pelvic floor. I know for people in the clinic, if you experience a lot of hip tightness, the odds are it's pretty good that your pelvic floor is tight as well. In the women's health PT world, we always say like the hip is almost like a mere reflection sometimes of what's going on internally with the pelvic floor. So if we're picking up dysfunction, like even just like having a stiff hip, like sitting in the car and my hip is super stiff, this could be related to what is going on in your pelvic floor as well. And then pregnancy in and of itself puts a lot of pressure downward. So we're thinking about the weight the baby, all of the extra fluid weight, it just is putting pressure down on our pelvic floor, which can make the pelvic floor tense and tight. Also, like I mentioned, it's really common during labor and delivery if the pelvic floor has to stretch and the most ideal thing in labor is that it stretches slowly and consistently as the baby kind of moves down past the pelvic floor. So the good news is there's a lot of things that we can help do to make that happen. So upright and moving position. So 
changing positions every 20 minutes, again, it's going to get the baby and yourself in a different position to help your pelvis open. And it's also going to stretch out different portions of your pelvic floor. If we're holding our breath as we're pushing, this has also been linked to increasing the rate of tearing. Usually too, tearing, the most significant tearing happens when you have your first baby. I know that's a big concern because if people tear, they're really nervous about their second or third children. But we do know from the research that the most significant tears happen usually with the first baby. But I would put a caveat note in there like, from a tissue standpoint, if we do know we have a tear, we also want to restore that area. So we want to breathe, stretch that area out, really connect our core back to that area. And then the last thing that we talked about is being in an optimal position for pushing. Mm. Yes. Uh, all so important. And we're going to get into all of this even more. One thing that I think we should provide to our listeners who are pregnant is they're hearing all this and they're thinking, okay, what can I do to prepare my perineum for the stress of delivery and to try to prevent this? And the biggest tip is actually nothing to do like directly with the pelvic floor. It works indirectly. So breath work would be by far and away the best thing that you can start to do. You may notice at the end of pregnancy, you start to hold your breath a lot more. Many times this is happening because we're really losing that core function. The baby's moving up, squishing the diaphragm. It gets harder to breathe. So we want to focus on a 360 degree diaphragmatic breath to regulate pressure, avoid pressure downwards. So we can really do this in pregnancy by practicing breathing into our sides and into our back. Air will go to the area of ease, which is usually that stretched out belly. So we really have to continue throughout pregnancy to breathe into our side, the side of our rib cage, and then our back bra line. And we can also add this into everyday movement. So as you lift up your toddler, you're breathing. As you lift up groceries, your inhale, exhale. As we work out, we're breathing as we're lifting weights. It should really seem like something you're like, what are you talking about? You're telling me to breathe. But this actually during pregnancy does not happen naturally at all. And we can opt into some of those poor habits, which can be really hard to get rid of in that postpartum period. So we could look and see if our ribs are actually physically moving. They should be moving as we inhale. Those ribs should move out. As we exhale, they should move back in. And then too, we can connect that with our pelvic floor. So I can put my hand inside my sits bone and I should be able to feel tissue bump into my finger. As I take an inhale, I should feel my pelvic floor pushing against my finger. This is a great way to make sure that you're staying connected with your pelvic floor during pregnancy. The other thing that we can do during pregnancy too is perineal stretching. This is a technique where we're going through the vaginal opening and stretching out the surrounding muscles. This can help us pe prepare for labor because it increases the blood flow and elasticity to this area. And it can make us more comfortable during birthing and reduces your chance of an episiotomy using uh, assisted devices or significant tears. If you don't feel comfortable with this or would rather not perform it, this is a great step to using a women's health physical therapist that does internal work. We literally do it every single day. 
and are super comfortable and trained with it. But if you were comfortable at home, which I do encourage people to more normalize, it's just like, you know, when you have tightness in your upper trap and you kind of rub it out because you're like, oh, my neck is so sore. Think of this area just not as like sexuality purposes, but it's just another muscle in the body. So inserting your finger in the shower, you can insert your thumb and push it back towards towards the butthole area. So this is stretching the back of the vagina, which is where we usually have the most tension. So you can either lubricate your finger and do this in a bed reclined, or you could do it in the shower or in the bathtub. You're going nice and slow, or you could have your partner do it as well. But you're, if you think about the vagina being a clock, 12 is up towards your clitoris, six is down towards the butthole. So I'm going to press down my thumb down back towards the butthole towards six. I'm going to hold, 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 hold and stretch. So I'm only going into my first knuckle. It's not super duper deep. And then I'm just going to keep holding. And then after I feel like that tissue relaxes a little bit, I'm going to go over to five, hold, 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 and a four, hold, 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 hold. And you will find that often a lot of people hold tension in this area. So it will actually feel kind of good to get this area relaxed. It will make your body feel a little bit more at ease as well as helping you prepare for labor. Yeah, it was cool because when I went to a women's health physical therapist, when I was pregnant with my first and I was kind of at the end of the line, she did this for me. It was actually a little bit painful because I was pretty tight, but then she taught me to do it myself so that I could continue to do it at home. So both are a great option. When do you suggest that people start to do this work during pregnancy? Around 34 weeks of pregnancy is a great time to start thinking about prepping your body and your pelvic floor for labor and delivery. So I love to do it around that. And I will say it should feel like an uncomfortable stretch. So it's not when I say like it feels good, it feels good after you're done doing it. It's like people coming to the PT (laughs) clinic, they like in the classes that we take, the analogy is like, you know, if you would take your fingers on the inside of your mouth and then pull the tissue apart, like that doesn't feel great. And the same thing in the, like the vaginal area, it's going to be more sensitive too, because there's a lot more blood flow. So it will feel like an uncomfortable stretch. And that's kind of when you know you're doing it right. But as your fingers in there, it should slowly ease. Like it should not feel as painful as when you first inserted and pulled the tissue. And then also too, same goes for exercise. So at like 34 weeks, I think a lot of people Stats also show that people in their third trimester, you you see a lot of active people in that golden trimester and they start to dip out. So working on our strength, our endurance, our flexibility in the pregnancy guide, that is going to help your hips and pelvis a lot because the stronger, like almost like I said, with the mirror imaging of the hip and the pelvis, our hips kind of get stuck outward in that like waddly gait pattern. That means that our hip muscles are shortened, which is also shortening the back of our pelvic floor, which we want flexibility through there. So really still using those hip muscles is going to be so helpful. And often regular programming doesn't have that much hip mobility and strength in it. I'll never forget when my friend Amanda was like, she didn't start expecting an empower till her third trimester. And she's like, you have no idea how, how helpful it was. 
We're going to take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by the Expecting and Empowered Prepping for Labor and Delivery course. This is our self-paced online course that will help prepare your mind, body, and partner for what's to come during the major event of labor and delivery. Here's a quote from someone that took our course. The Expecting and Empowered course made most of my anxiety about giving birth go away. The more educated I became, the more I could advocate for myself and this baby. The course got my wheels churning and really allowed me to wrap my head around the birthing process. What makes this course different from others is the unique combination of expertise between myself and my sister, Crystal. We marry her physical therapist knowledge with my background as a nurse, personal trainer, and doula. We also have six births under our belts, three vaginal and three cesarean. This helps us to deliver real tangible tips, such as the best positions to help labor progress, what to actually expect during each stage of labor and what your partner can actually do to be helpful. This and so much more is why this course is all you need to feel ready to tackle labor. Knowledge is power. Make sure you use the promo code podcast 25 at checkout to save 25% off the prepping for labor and delivery course. We'll put the link in the show notes. And now back to our show. Let's transition into talking about labor now. So what are things that the birth partner or the practitioner or the patient could do to help their perineum when it is in labor and its job is to stretch out? Yeah, the first one is so easy. It's just a warm compress. So evidence, there's a lot of evidence with warm compress, but it really does help protect this area. So it's just a towel. You get it nice and wet and it's warm. And it helps to start stretching this area in between pushing. So again, as the baby's head starts to descend, that's when we want to start using this. It can increase the rate of an intact perineum. So you're able to walk away with from birth without stitches. So if you use it 22.4%, with the warm compress walked away with an intact perineum and without only 15.4% of people did. It also decreases the risk of grade three and four tearing. And in a study by Dolan, they showed that it produced less pain during birth and it decreased postpartum pain. So those are some pretty impressive stats for just throwing a warm towel on your vagina. And then also perineal massage. So what we've been talking about for prepping, also the provider could do this gently and kind of exactly how we described it in one area. So it's not stretching side to side. A study by Equan et al., they found that 50% of people had actually a lower trauma rate if they uh, their provider used this in the second stage of labor and that pushing stage, which again, half of the people, that's pretty impressive stats. Yeah. I remember being a doula in a delivery by a midwife and she did use that technique, the perineal stretching, and it really helped out. Okay. Let's talk about pushing. Are there optimal pushing positions and techniques if you're trying to protect your perineum? In the study I just mentioned, they found that the lowest rate of perineal tears occurred with women delivering in the standing position or like a semi-squatted position. The highest rate of tears occurred with those that are in the lithotomy position or the traditional position, which is laying on our back. 
So upright birthing has been found to decrease the rate of instrument delivery, such as forceps or vacuum, shorten the length of active pushing phases by average of eight minutes, which that is a lot. And also, also a substantial decrease in the risk of severe perineal trauma which reduced by 75%. So I do think position really matters. From the evidence-based birth, healthcare workers may help support you by pushing in a squat position. But when the baby starts to really emerge, they might insist that the birthing person sits or lays on their back. They might even say something like, I need you to get on your back for safety reasons. I don't want you to tear. So please get on your back right now, or your baby is going to get stuck under your pubic bone unless you move right now. In other words, sometimes it's like a little bit vague or a little bit pushy or urgent to get in that position. So the situation for a birthing person can be really, really confusing because you could interpret that as being urgent So then most people always comply, although it's interesting because a lot of the research is even teaching physicians that birthing on our backs is not the most optimal position. But again, it is hard to get research to kind of incorporate into like the best trade. Other positions that are really great are quadruped, or if you have an epidural on board, a side lying position. So sometimes too, you just have to have a little bit of pushback too of like, I'd feel more comfortable. If you want me to be on my back, I'd feel more comfortable with being on my side or this position is really working. And if the stats of the baby aren't really changing, that might be the position for you. Your body is super intuitive and kind of knows where it wants to be. So make sure that you're trusting your intuition during this process. Yeah. I was like, even a little more straightforward. I was like, there's no chance I'm getting in that bed. <laughs> and then they, <laughs> they just basically have to work with you where you are. I mean, my body wanted to be upright for whatever reason. And I stuck with that, even though it is harder on the team because they kind of have to get under you for that. But you have every right to say what you want in that delivery room. Like Crystal said, like it can feel a little bit hard when they're giving you these reasons, but you know your reasons for wanting to stand up now. So let's say that someone gave birth. Okay. So I had all three births, I was up upright, I did still tear. So let's say now this woman does have a tear. They tried everything you talked about. How do we now help them to heal? The first step is not overdoing it. When you have a newborn, I think there's a lot of things to do, especially when you go home and you have a toddler. So really making sure whenever we're talking about any kind of injury, there's an acute inflammatory period. So what we do in the first two weeks really matters. We really want to like nurture that area, take care of it. We don't want to be on our feet too much and moving around. If we do that, we can actually create excessive scar tissue or 
hypertrophy of the scar, which can then create more dysfunction than you had just from the original tear, especially like I know myself, I'm a like get it done kind of gal. I ain't like wanting asking for help. I really learned like child by child to ask for more help or take it easy in the recovery process. The more I've learned about all of this stuff, the easier it got to actually recover properly and take more time. Also, when you do have a tear, you really want to make sure that you're taking toileting seriously, (laughs) which sounds so weird, but you really want to keep this area clean. You guys, if the area is torn, we want healthy cells in this area. So you're going to want to use that warm peri bottle, spread out the tissue, use warm water, really spritz it on there. Changing your pad often is going to be helpful as well. Not pushing our pee out. And you can, if you have a tear forward too, those are not as common, but if you were to tear forward, peeing can be really painful after that. So using that peri bottle to actually spray on as you're peeing, because that dilutes the urine coming out. So that is quite helpful. And then when we're defecating, you can help support this tissue by taking toilet paper, wrapping it around your fingers, then holding the front of your pelvic floor. So the vagina and your fingertips are getting close, but not at the butthole. And I'm pushing upward to help support because when we poop our tissue is moving downward but if we have too much excursion it's like thinking about when you have a scrape on your knee and every time you bend it it kind of reopens so when we poop we just want the excursion to be the least amount so that area can heal and then two sits baths are really nice you can get ones that like go right on your toilet you can go in the tub And then too, I said not to overdo it, right? I said not to be like upright and moving a lot, but we do have to start dabbling in moving a little bit. So nice and controlled. And I'm talking like a minute, then two minutes, then three minutes. And in our guide, it actually tells you what to do so that you can slowly titrate your way up. Because if we're moving around, we're circulating that good blood flow. That good blood flow is bringing bad cells out, good cells in. So this is going to help with healing. Yeah. uh, In my experience, the first birth, I was the most sore down there. I had a two. I could feel, I actually went to a woman's health physical therapist because I could feel like scar tissue. The next two births, not as sore at all, but I had to keep in mind just because it isn't sore doesn't mean I need to, you know, go walk three miles or something like that. So still trying to take it easy and make sure that everything was healing. Okay. Let's talk about, are there exercises that would be helpful for someone who is looking to help their perineum and their pelvic floor heal after birth? Yeah. And what we'll do is we have a freebie for you guys for this. So you can download the freebie, but it's so funny because in PT, when you prehab something, so like, let's say we're trying to prevent ACL tears in young female soccer players it's the same as what you would do if you tore your ACL. Prehabbing and rehabbing are the same thing. So a lot of this is going to sound familiar because it's the stuff that we just went through to prevent the tearing. So breathing. So we want to inhale all the way down to our pelvic floor. As we inhale and relax our pelvic floor, we're envisioning that our pelvic floor is like a flower, like opening or blooming. Our sits bones are getting wider 
as we exhale, we want to exhale from the bottom up, almost like a syringe. We're like sucking air up. Or if you think about generating pressure upwards, so like pop your ears on a plane, we're doing that though from the bottom up. Often when tearing happens, we almost kind of dissociate this area because the more we feel it move, it can be sore at first. But What's key is we want to reintegrate it because that's going to help us heal. So we can do this by multiple different positions, which you'll see in the pregnancy app and also in this freebie, but you can lay on your side. And then if I'm laying on my left, I'm really thinking about that right rib cage moving. So breathing into that right side and again, all the way down to the pelvic floor. So I'm envisioning air coming in through my nose, down my spine, all the way to my pelvic floor. And then as it leaves, I'm thinking about exhaling, even from like my groin, like thinking about pulling in my groin up the pelvic floor and all the way out. I also love this 90-90 position, meaning that your feet are on a wall or your bed at home. This helps stretch out the pelvic floor just by getting in that position. And it really helps our rib cage kind of get stuck back where it should be because the more that we stack our ribs over our hips, the more that our diaphragm can connect to our pelvic floor. So that 90-90 positions on your back with your knees bent to 90 and really thinking about breathing all the way down. And then really starting to connect with our body. So we can start to do movements that get out of the habit because our brain after pregnancy, it needs like a control alt delete button. Some people can do it very easily and automatically. And some people need a lot more tips or connection depending on how many compensatory strategies you had during pregnancy. So we can try to roll our legs in and out. So internal and external rotation. We want to start moving our pelvis into pelvic clocks, meaning tuck the pelvis, untuck the pelvis, like big butt, flat back, big butt, flat back. So moving our pelvis through those motions. We also really want, and this is again where people forget, it's not just about the pelvic floor. People that have incontinence, prolapse, all those things, the pelvic floor is really like just where the issue is happening, but it may not be where the criminals at, meaning that if you don't have great thoracic mobility, right where your diaphragm is, this area is not connected. So our thoracic spine could be what's leading to it. So really in that initial postpartum period, we want to get our upper back moving. And often a lot of people will find a lot of soreness there because they don't have great mobility. Your back could burn or you could feel a lot of tension in your upper traps. So we really want to be cautious of this area and really get it moving. We can also then start to do a lot more exercises, strength-based like bridging with lat pull downs. All of this is really going to help reconnect our core, that pelvic floor, and the diaphragm back together. Yeah. And Crystal explained it so well, but if you want, you can go to our show notes and grab that freebie that is going to be right there for you and be really helpful. If you guys found this episode to be empowering and informative, we would love it. If you shared it on Instagram, tagging us at expecting and empowered. Thank you so much for listening.